Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Ve sallallahu ta'ala ala sayyidil mursalin ve alihi ve sahbihi ve barik sallam. All praise are due to Allah, Lord of the worlds, and peace and blessings be showered upon our beloved Prophet Muhammad, his family, his companions forever. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, um, we continue on in our study uh, of the miracles of the Qur'an. And um, we will be starting uh, at this time because of the change in the prayers uh, in the building itself. Uh, and again, uh, when we talk about I'jaz al-Qur'an, we are talking about um, the miraculous nature of the Book of Allah. And that is that in the book itself is a special nature. And that is connected to the fact that it is uh, the khatam, it is the seal of the books. And the seal of the books coming with the seal of the prophets means that this book has got to be flexible enough that it can be uh, used by people outside of Arabia. So people who did not speak Arabic uh, could actually um, get into the meaning of the book, even sometimes without even knowing Arabic as a language. Because the principles in the book are principles uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that affect all human beings. And for those uh, who could speak Arabic or who learn Arabic or come, come close to Arabic, the meaning of it and the power of it uh, even become more and more strong and its flexibility also is strong. And so Prophet Muhammad said that you know, one of the differences between him and the other prophets who came is that they were sent uh, to their people. All of the prophets were sent to their tribe or their nation. But he said, I was sent to all of humanity and the jinn. So all of the humanity and the jinn, creatures made of smokeless fire, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and his sunnah and his way is actually their prophet as well. So with this, the revelation that came down through him, although he is an Arabian man, he's, he's using the technology of the people then, his mindset uh, has to be the mindset of people uh, there, he didn't have a cell phone. So it's a completely different world. Even for some of us who grew up without cell phones, it's a different world now that our children are living in uh, than we are living in, in terms of communication. So that mindset still, even with that mindset, Allah Azza wa Jal then revealed through him uh, verses and understandings that could actually relate to people uh, even now, over 1,400 years later. Okay, so that is a, a miraculous type of um, flexibility. And you don't find that really in any other book, that it can be that flexible uh, to, to, to you know, so many different people who speak so many different languages. And so the, the, the root concepts, the basic ideas, that are coming in are ideas which are consistent. And there is one uh, set of ideas that we have been looking at uh, which is consistent, and that is the darkness and the light. The darkness and the light. That is consistent and will be consistent all the way through to the Day of Judgment. Not in the sense that we will not expand our understanding of the light, because we are expanding. The fact that we now send space probes into the universe uh, means that we understand uh, what happened, what they call light years ago. So that would be light, nor. So we actually understand nor in terms of even speed. Uh, so light years ago, through time and space, uh, we are able to see images and to, to analyze uh, what happened. Also with darkness, uh, we are able to go into inner space, into the human body, and then also under the water, uh, and into the 
deep levels uh, of our own universe and atmosphere that we are living in. And so with this in mind, as we looked in the previous class at the light, and there is so much more to deal with the light, we recognize that one of, one of the important issues that came up, and to me it's very important, and that is the fact that when nor is used, it is always singular. And when darkness, dhulma, is used, it's always dhulumat. It's always dhulumat. And that is because, as our scholars have shown us, there is one way uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but there are many other roots in darkness. There are many forms uh, of darkness. And, of course, the, the, the main definition uh, of darkness is, is basically the absence of light or the absence of uh, guidance, or it could mean also like the absence of justice. So, so the absence of truth, justice, guidance, right, is a form of um, where Dhulamat comes in. And um, what we understood, to look at this again, because this is a deep analysis of Dhulama, and the three-letter uh, verb, which gives you the basis root, you know, for all of your nouns and pronouns and whatnot. Trilateral root, they call it. So this, this trilateral root, Dhulama, occurs 315 times uh, in the Qur'an, and there's 12 forms that are derived from it. And um, you will see Dhulama, uh, generally, when it comes in a verbal form, it basically means injustice. And uh, when you see uh, Adlama, uh, it is darkest, and 16 times the noun, Adlam, uh, twice as a noun, Dhalimi, uh, five times uh, as a noun, Dhalam, 20 times as the noun, Dhulm. Okay, Dhulm. And um, 23 times as a nominal, nominal Dhulumat, okay, twice Dhulum, uh, 129 times, Dhalim. Okay, Dhalim. And this, this is, you know, you see that that's like probably the most, right? Because the Dhalim is the oppressor. That's the person. And you will say that in other languages. You say that in Urdu and Farsi. You say Zalim. When the Turks um, speak, you know, and I follow some Turkish um, Muslim programs, when they're talking about oppression, they say Zalim, Qatil. They're calling them like that. Like, you know, and these are Arabic words. But Qatil is you're a murderer. And Zalim, or Zalim in Arabic, is you're an oppressor. So this hit other Islamic languages. So languages affected by Arabic. Um, and that would also include uh, Kiswahili and um, other languages as well. But surprisingly enough, even in English, English is affected uh, by Arabic. And a person by the name of Walt Taylor, an American, he found 1,000 words uh, in the English dictionary directly affected uh, by Arabic, taken right out of it. Some interesting things, like um, uh, Admiral is Amir al-Baha, right? The Amir, the leader on the ocean. Amir al-Baha is Admiral. And um, the mayor of your town is Amir. That's where it comes from. We used to say the Amir. Right? So now they say mayor, right? Um, and then the man with the gun, like the sheriff of uh, Dallas, Texas, is Sharif. It's on the word Sharif. Because one of the words for Sharif is not only a, a noble person from the family of the prophet, but it's also, Sharif is used also for um, a high-ranking officer, like a sheriff. So they use it like that. So Sharif, right? And, uh, and these are common terms that everybody uses. The Texans, you know, they're, they're, they're sheriffs. Uh, some of their most famous prized people is the sheriff, right? And even the British uh, with the sheriff of Nottingham, right? And um, so sheriff is a very important uh, concept as well, right? 
And of course, Meyer uh, has spread throughout the world. And um, there are so many words that are affected by Arabic. And so from in, in terms of the darkness, looking at the darkness, um, these are some of the roots or the words taken from the root dalama, right? which basically means you know, uh, to do injustice. Uh, and this is where the darkness comes in uh, and whatnot. Okay? Um, Muslim also down there, someone who's oppressed. Muslim uh, is dark. Right? So all these are, are, are concepts of the darkness. And as we said, the light is one way. It's always singular in the Quran, and the darkness is plural. Now, in terms of the use of dhulm itself, um, and again, we want to um, benefit from the Quran, the flexibility of the Book of Allah. And that, that is, you know, some of that is based upon how you're able to understand it. Because you may be in a different circumstance at a different point in time, and something you see in the Qur'an, it directly relates to what you're in. Okay, whereas somebody else at another point might not have seen that in that. They might have looked at it another way. Okay, so that's the reason why you can get so many tafsirs, and there are even modern tafsirs of the Qur'an that come out. Right? But over the ages, there are so many explanations uh, of the book itself. And um, we are in... Um, what is called now uh, in North America Black History Month. And um, this has impacted, started in the United States um, because people of African descent um, were being uh, taken out of history. Um, obviously, the First Nations people, you know, they were wiped out of American history as well. Um, Mexicans totally wiped out because the first part, the first America was only 13 states on the East Coast. So the center part of the United States was owned by the French, it was Louisiana, and the far west was Mexico, all the way up to what is now Oregon. All of that was part of Mexico. Okay, and the Spanish had taken over that part, but the culture was basically uh, Mexican because there weren't that many Spanish people who actually settled there. Okay, so, um, that was the reality uh, of early America uh, in terms of um, you know, <clears throat> what it was. So in order to consolidate their grip on things, which the mind starts first, they start changing the curriculum, what you teach children, right? You teach the children, you form their mind, right? And that is something which, you know, in history itself, uh, is called, um, you could say, Eurocentric teaching. And Eurocentric means that you center yourself in Europe. It's, it's a mindset, and we're still caught up in it. It's not our fault, but, but it is a mindset. Like, for instance, if you say um, it's 7 o'clock GMT, right? And you can say GMT, Greenwich Mean Time. You can say that all over the world, right? But what does it mean? It means that your center point where time changes or divides is Greenwich, which is just a little section of London. And after being around different parts of the world, and I went to London, I'm, looking, I'm waiting for this big thing, and it's just a little section of London. They said, look over there at that building. You know, this is it, man. It's a little section of London. It's nothing. It's psychological. Right? So that now you, divide, you, you think in terms of your time based on that. And from that, when you look at your geography, you say that uh, Arabia is in the Middle East. Okay? But think of that term, middle from where? If you say China's the Far East, far from where? <coughs> from London, right? From Europe. Is it for the Chinese, is, Chi is China the Far East for the Chinese? No, it's the center of the world, right? But in Eurocentric thinking, we say the Middle East, 
And I'm not saying it's wrong because that's how people talk, right? But it, it is a wrong concept because you're thinking you're still controlled by the Europeans when you say that's the middle and that's far away, right? Or north is um, civilized and south is uncivilized, right? If you have that concept in your mind, your mind is still in slavery. So because of this, um, dealing with the African situation because of the Atlantic slave trade, there were some scholars who uh, struggled for the inclusion of African history in the curriculums. They didn't do very well because the curriculum is political. But they did allow them eventually because of struggles in America and whatnot. They allowed them Black History Week, which eventually became Black History Month. Okay, it's a month. And that is when people are forced to now look at um, what happened in Africa or even African Americans. They were never forced to before. And uh, it's strange that they chose February, though, because that's like the shortest and coldest year of the month. And that's the opposite of Africa, right? You think of Africa, you think of something warm, right? And February, it's like freezing, right? But anyhow, they gave them the shortest, darkest, coldest month of the year and let that be their time. So anyhow, now um, this is now spreading. And because we are in Canada, and Canada is recognizing um, the different multi-cultures that are in it. Um, we recognize in Black History Month. And Muslims also now recognize that this is impacting on us. Right? And the more we can, so we sort of look at it from our perspective. And again, the, the Quran is fle miraculously flexible. Okay? It's miraculously flexible. And one of the points of uh, Black History Month, you know, is to break down stereotypes, right? Stereotype is a negative image of an individual. And we have, that's another thing we have in our mind as well. We have to rid it out of our minds. We have stereotypes, right? So, you know, and I tried this on youth and I said to them, uh, have you ever seen a Chinese person uh, on television? or in the movies? So what, what would you say if somebody said that to you? You ever seen a Chinese person? Who would you say? As a, I mean a hero of the program, right? Let's put it this way. Hero of a mainstream program, Chinese. Who, what comes in your mind? But who? Jackie Chan, man. Don't hide. I know you're watching him, right? I know you like him, right? Jet Li. You know Jet Li, right? So generally, what comes in your mind is a kung fu fighter. So you look at a Chinese person, and you think, watch out for him, because kung fu. That's stereotype, because Chinese people do not know kung fu, except the ones who study kung fu. It's not in their DNA, right? Kung fu is not in their DNA. It's a discipline, right? So that is a stereotype. And um, you can apply it to a lot of different groups. And for instance, but if, if you look at television, this is the main brainwashing tool. And it's still going on with all the anti-racist stuff that we have. It's still going on. Um, if you look at, for instance, um, uh, just mainstream movies, mainstream movies, OK? <coughs> have you ever seen? A Malaysian person? Now, when I say Malay, I'm talking about the, the, the diaspora of the Malays. The Malays actually came from Thailand. And they migrated down into uh, the islands. The islands had what is called the aboriginal people, the original people. Right? So they migrated into that area. And so now the Malay is part of Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines. That's a lot of people, right? I mean, for Muslims, it's our largest country is Indonesia. Have you ever seen a Malaysian person as a hero of a program? Have you ever even seen one in a movie? Think about this, man. Have you ever even seen one? No. Now, have you ever seen an Indian person? Times are changing now. But have you ever seen an Indian person? I say Indian diaspora, right? Which would include India, Pakistan, South Africa, 
uh, you know, Caribbean, Fiji, you know, whatever. Have you ever seen a person of Indian origin, hero of the program? Now, you know what I mean by the hero, right? The, 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 you know, the camera keeps shooting on them. They're the intelligent one. They win the day, you know, whatever. Have you ever seen a person, uh, not Gandhi? <laughs> no, Caucasian. Right, right. But Gandhi, right, is out. No Bollywood. <laughs> Times are changing now. There's somewhere, there's some pretty high up there in some of these movies. But have you ever seen an Indian person as, as the hero of the program? You got to think, man. If it is, it's usually a computer nerd or somebody like that. It's usually somebody like that, maybe, that might be the hero, right? Stereotype, right? It's stereotype. Now, have you ever seen an African person as the hero? But I have to take out, he can't be a good athlete. He can't be a dancer, right? He can't be a villain as the hero of the program. Now, we do, because we fought in America, we have some heroes. We do. Okay, you might even know some of them, too. But that's only recently, right? Like Denzel Washington, right? He even played, he played Malcolm X, too. And it wasn't only until, like, the 60s, 70s that you even had a, a, a black person, person of African descent, you know, on a movie as a hero, unless they were a slave or a dancer or a singer or something like that. And usually if you watch a, a movie um, and there's a black guy in the movie and say they're fighting aliens or they're fighting you know, creatures and they say 11 people in the group and the aliens eating them up one by one, killing them, right? About halfway through the movie, the black guy is gone. He's finished. It's usually about 40 minutes into the movie, right? He, he's never there near the end. Mark my words. Right? Who are the heroes? Who are the ones who, at the end, are the hero of the program? Europeans. And if you say, look for European heroes, it's just about every single movie. Now, there's only a tiny percentage now, you know, where they will um, have somebody else. But even when they did um, a movie on the Crusades, you know, they, um, they focused more on the European. And Salah Hadin is sort of a secondary character, right? So that's Eurocentrism, right? So break Eurocentrism. How do we break Eurocentrism? Is that we begin to tell history from another perspective. And this is where the Quran itself uh, plays a role even in something like this month, okay? And um, this is the chapter called Surah Luqman. And in this chapter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us in this 31st chapter, verse 12, Allah tells us, A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem laqad atayna luqman al-hikmata anishku lillah wa man yashku fa innama yashkuru linafsi wa man kafara fa innallaha ghaniyun hamid. So it says, and we bestowed wisdom upon Luqman, right? And he's enjoining, uh, give thanks to Allah. And whoso gives thanks to Allah does so to his own good. And whoso disbelieves, let him know that Allah is all-sufficient and immensely wise. So this is the wisdom of Luqman. And um, in the next verse, uh, and there's this whole series in this um, chapter, as you may know. Uh, Luqman uh, is saying, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, wa idqala Luqman uli ibnihi wa huwa ya'iduhu ya bunay, ya bunay ya la tushrik billah, inna shirka la dhulmun azim. And call to mind when Luqman said to his son while exhorting him, he's teaching him. My son, do not associate partners with Allah and his divinity. Surely associating others with Allah and his divinity is a mighty wrong. Okay? And there's two um, key points here. We'll call shahid means uh, the witness. Okay, so there's two uh, uh, shahid points uh, here uh, in this verse. And that is, number one, that Luqman... Um, 
he is saying to his son, right? Do not commit shirk. Now, look at the word that he used when he's talking about shirk. He said, Inna shirka la dhulmun azim. Dhulm. See the word? That's our word dhulm. And we're looking at the types of dhalama, the types of darkness and injustice, right? So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses dhulm and he, he, he puts the, the adjective onto it, azim, which means it's big thing, right? It's serious, great. Right? And um, shirk itself, as we know, um, is, is the major sin. It's number one. And whenever there's, a category, whenever there's a listing of major sins, shirk is number one. And it is the only sin that cannot, will not be forgiven uh, if a person dies in a state of shirk. There is no forgiveness in the next life. Okay? And there are verses about this. Every other sin... Uh, uh, according to the Quran, can be forgiven. The person could be a murderer, uh, uh, interest, usury eater, a rapist, whatever it is. And then they go to the next life, and there's a scale. There is a scale. And these sins are big ones, right? So his scale is going to be going down. But if that person made tawbah, if they repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran says, uh, Allah forgives all sins. Okay? But in the case of shirk, that is the one where the Quran is saying that you know, the shirk is the one that will be no forgiveness. And so the scholars combine verses, so it's a whole study in itself. They combine verses, verses to say that every sin could be forgiven in this life except shirk. So the most dangerous thing is to die in a state of shirk. And this is the reason why people need to understand this, right? They need to understand what shirk is. And the Quran itself is constantly giving us, taking us away. Even Qulhu Allahu Ahad Allahu Samad, right? Surat al-Ikhlas, Sayyid Allah the One, right? That's getting you away from shirk. The whole thing is not to get caught in this uh, association of partners. And to associate partners, it means that you believe in Allah, but you believe in something else, right? Just like the Trinity, where it says the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's like a, you know, Trinity. It's like, and, and shirk is from sharika. Sharika is like a business. You have a business as vice president, secretary, treasurer, you know, whatever. Um, you know, sharik is your partner. This is how Arabic goes, right? So shirk, here the, 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 the first witness is how dhulm is used, because that's what we're looking at now, right? The second is the fact that Luqman himself, in the Quran, there's a whole chapter named after him, and he's teaching his son. And the teachings of Luqman... And this is one of the big benefits you can get out of the Book of Allah. Ma major benefit in the teachings of Luqman. Again, this is a flexibility for a believer. A non-believer wouldn't get this. Right? But somebody who's looking at, at the book seriously is going to get the benefit out of this. So, in terms of the month that we are in, the flexibility of the Qur'an, who was Luqman? And there's a lot of different opinions about this. We know that he was a wise person. There are different opinions of the scholars where he came from. And the, this, the majority uh, opinion, what appears to be the strongest opinion, and I, I just brought one of the reports uh, dealing with that. It's uh, Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Ansari. He said that Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. Now, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib is a big scholar. He's one of the great Tabi'i scholars after the um, Sahaba. Sayyid ibn Musayyib, um, he, he said that Luqman belonged to the black people of Egypt. Now this is what you call Nubians. Okay, it's a place called Nubia. He had thick lips, and Allah the Almighty granted him wisdom, but not prophethood. 
Okay? That's why we say a wise man, right? So he's not a Nabi. Like Al Khidr with uh, Musa, that Musa was looking for a wise person, and he found this Al Khidr, he found him. Al Khidr is not a prophet, but he was granted wisdom, hikmah, right? And so Umar ibn al Qais and al A'mash narrated after Mujahid. Uh, Luqman was a huge black slave, thick-lipped. While he was preaching, a man used to know him, uh, used to know him, saw him, and said, "And again, this is an anti-racism thing, right? Because it's describing him, right? But certain descriptions, if you have racism in it, you think it's a negative one. Like an Arab has a big nose, right? So if I'm describing an Arab, I say he's got a big nose, right?" So he's got a big nose. So what? But if you have a stereotype of Semitic people, a big nose is a stereotype, right? You see? Anyhow, so it goes on. And it says, while he was preaching, a man uh, used to say to him, he says, aren't you the slave of so-and-so who used to look after my sheep not so not long in the past? Look, man said, yes. The man said, what raised you to this high state I see? Luqman said, the divine decree, the qadr of Allah. Okay? And then he said, repaying the trust, telling the truth, and discarding and keeping silent regarding to what does not concern me. Okay? And this hadith is, uh, is in Al-Hakim, Mustadrak of Al-Hakim, which is a, a hadith book itself. Okay? Look at the points of the wisdom of Luqman. Look at the points. He didn't say, because I'm so, I'm so intelligent. He said, it was Allah's will, right? But look at the points that he says. And these are points to think about, about his wisdom. Repaying the trust. You owe somebody something, keep your trust. If you're entrusted with something, amana, right? If you're entrusted with something, you fulfill the amana. Truth. He's a truthful person. And you see? Things that don't belong him to you know, that is not his business, doesn't concern him, he, he, he's either silent or he discards it. These points look, look like they're simple, but they're not. Right? This is a pure character to get this state uh, that Luqman had reached. And this is where Nubia is itself. Uh, so on the map, on, on your left map, uh, you can see Nubia, and that's how it would look generally. So that would be like no the northern part of Sudan, of the country called Sudan, and it stretches it also into the southern part of Egypt. So if you go uh, uh, to a place called Aswan in Egypt, where the high dam is, that's Nubia. Okay, And then down into northern, uh, so this is where most of the scholars believe Luqman came from. Okay? And if you look at the smaller uh, map on the right, then you can see, um, and my pointer doesn't, doesn't work on the screen, but you can see um, the brown color, color is Ethiopia. That is the Aksumite Empire. And that is the empire, remember the Ashabul Fil, the, 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 the army of the elephants that eventually attacked Mecca? That's where they came from. That's called Aksum. Okay? And it was, they had obelisks, they had elephants. <coughs> Powerful. And to the north of that, um, this is where in the grayish color, that, that's Nubia. That's the center of Nubia. Okay? And uh, so this is, this is where the scholars believe that he came from. And Nubian people are actually in a very big crisis now. Because with the Aswan Dam, um, it flooded a lot of their ancestral lands. And um, so they're, they're in Aswan and in northern Sudan, but they're in a big crisis now uh, in terms of the group. But, so this is a, basically where we believe he came from. And he's described as uh, dark-skinned, black, right? He's described. So this is the Quran itself, right? It's the Quran itself putting in the story of a black man, right? Now, Hafiz Ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah, the great Ibn Kathir, he did a book, Stories of the Qur'an, and he brought in a number of reports. And, and, and these, this is one of the reports uh, there that comes. And it says, Luqman was described as a perceptive man, 
always watching the animals and plants of his surrounding. And he tried to understand the world based on what he saw. Okay, think about that first. He's watching animals and plants. Okay, so this is a different way of thinking, right? He's not worried about his neighbor, how big his house is, you know, how nice his shoes are, how big his cell phone is, like us, right? He's thinking about environment. He would be an environmentalist today, right? He'd probably be leading the climate change movement, right? Because the environment is being destroyed, you know, by our technology. So he would judge, he would judge things based upon that. And they even say today that the greatest threat to, um, to, to all the countries of the world, in the Davos, they had a big economic meeting where all the top elite thinkers you know, came, go to this place, Davos, in Switzerland, right? And they came to the conclusion that the biggest threat facing the world is the environment. There's no doubt about it. The environment is our biggest challenge. That's how Lukman thinks, right? So based on how the environment is around, he's judging how he, he is, how he is. And he understands the world based upon that. So if you understand the world based on our environment, we're, we're messed up. We're in trouble, right? Okay. It continues, Hafid ibn Kathir continues, one day while sleeping under a tree, an angel came to him and said that Allah wanted to bestow a gift upon Lukman, either wisdom or being king. Right? So knowledge, wisdom, or king. That's power, right? Was it in his dream? No, according to this report, and again, this is not, this comes out of Ibn Kathir's, you know, things, stories that came. Um, it's not a dream. Angels can appear like a, they appear like people in the form of a man. That's how they appear. So to either to be um, a king or to be wise, look, man chose wisdom. Okay? And when he woke from his slumber, he was aware that his senses and understanding had sharpened. He felt in complete harmony with nature and could understand the inner meaning of things beyond the physical reality. Immediately, he bowed down and thanked and praised Allah for this wonderful gift. See how he is? He immediately shukr lillah. He thanked Allah, because the wisdom now, his perception was heightened. Heightened perception. This is what he got. And this is what people are trying to get today. Even people take certain drugs to heighten their perception of things, right? To accelerate themselves, right? These are so-called high-level people who want to increase uh, its, its perception. I mean, even LSD originally was. Um, the drug LSD, lysergic acid, um, it was supposed to heighten your um, perceptions of things and give you another consciousness, right? That's what LSD was supposed to be. Okay, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him uh, this heightened perception that he could understand the natural world and inner things. So in other words, this is real wisdom. When you don't judge everything on the surface, you can go inside. Okay? Now, the report continues, and it said, look, man was captured by slavers, and he was sold as a slave. Now, slavery in, in those days, and really up until recently, uh, slavery was not based on your color. It's based upon power. Because uh, Suhaib al-Rumi, the Roman, was European-looking. He came to Medina, as, as he, was, as he, was, well, he, came to, he went from Iraq over to Constantinople as a slave. Salman, Salman al-Farisi, who was a Persian man, he was a slave. Uh, Zayd ibn Haritha uh, was an Arab. So slavery was not based on the color of your skin. However, these slave raiders must have gone into the Nubian area, or some reports say that he had skills and he traveled, and he went to another place, and you could be captured by slave raiders. In the story of Suhaib al-Rumi, you know Suhaib the Roman, companion of the Prophet Muhammad right? He was actually an Iraqi. He's not a European. But he had blonde hair and blue eyes. And the Indo people, the, the, the European people, Aryan people, 
had migrated into the so-called Middle East and India. In India, they call them Brahmins. Um, in Afghanistan and in Iran, you have very light-skinned people, blonde hair, blue eyes, look European, right? They have European DNA, um, but they migrated thousands of years ago. Okay, so in this case, he was an Iraqi. His father was rich. And while he was by the, in a picnic, some Byzantine Roman uh, slave traders came and they caught him and they took him to Constantinople. So he was raised, he stayed till 20 years old as a slave, which is now Istanbul, right? Eventually he was freed and you know, he uh, was a business person and then he went to Arabia because he knew he was an Arab. But the Arabs called him Suhaib the Roman because for all intents and purposes he was. He was raised in um, Rome, he spoke Greek, right, Greek along with his Arabic, and he looked like a European, so they call him Suhaib al-Rumi, right? But he was a slave, that's the point that I'm making. So here, um, it said he, he, he'd be sold as a slave. He was deprived of his freedom and could neither move nor speak freely. This was the first trial he had to bear. He had to take this test now. Okay? He suffered his bondage patiently, for his heart was lit with faith and hope, and he was waiting for Allah's action. Okay? Like Yusuf was put in prison. For a long time he stayed in jail, right? So he, he, he would be an ex-convict. Right? If you call somebody an ex-convict today, right? That's a bad name, right? Ex-con. Okay, but he's a prophet who's an ex-con. So Luqman, then it said the man who bought him was, was good, that's Allah's will, was a good as well as an intelligent man. He treated Luqman with kindness. He was able to detect that Luqman was not an ordinary man and he tried to test his intelligence. Okay? He ordered Luqman to slaughter a sheep and to bring its wor worst part to him. Luqman slaughtered the sheep and took its heart and its tongue he took it to the master, right? What's the worst part of the sheep? Okay, what would we give him? The hoofs or the tail, you know, whatever. Uh, most of us don't eat intestines, though some in the Caribbean, some people in some parts of the world, they eat the intestines, right? In America, we call the chitlins in slavery. But now, he brings the heart and the tongue. On receiving them, his master smiled, fascinated by Luqman's choice of the worst. He understood that Luqman was trying to convey some deep meaning, though he could not make out exactly what. From this moment, his owner began to, to take more interest in Luqman and showed more kindness to him. Okay? A few days later, Luqman was again instructed to slaughter a sheep, but this time he was asked to, uh, uh, to take the best parts of the animal to the owner. First, it was the worst first, right? Take the best part. Luqman slaughtered the sheep, and to his master's amaze amazement again, he brought the same organs, the heart and the tongue. His master asked Luqman how the heart and the tongue could be both worse and best parts. Okay? And the wise Luqman answered, the tongue and the heart are the sweetest parts if its owner is pure, and if he is wicked, they too are as wicked. See that wisdom? That's, that's amazing. That's deep wisdom. Okay? Thereafter, Luqman's owner held him in great respect. Luqman was consulted by many people for advice, and the fame of his wisdom spread all over the country. Okay? Yeah. part of the same area? Not really. You see, the thing is, is that um, because they've taken Africa and they say like one thing, but it's not one thing, because Aksum, the empire of Aksum uh, and, the, and Nubia are different um, nations. It's just like, you know, saying today, United States and Brazil. It's, it's in the same hemisphere, because Africa's huge, right? So the difference between one place and another, it's not even how the maps look. It's further. So these are two different uh, groups. Their languages are different. Um, their cultures are slightly different. You know, they're, it's not, they're not the same.
But today they say Africa or they say Sudan, you know, but so many nations are inside of it. Right? So uh, going back to where we were here, um, you know, this point here, uh, the, 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 where it says Ethiopia, so that would be Aksum. It's now Eritrea and parts, uh, most of Ethiopia. But Nubia is above it. And where the pink is going in is what we now call Egypt. Right, because the Nile Valley, the Nile. And then Yemen, of course, was across in the purple, and the other side is Yemen, or part of Yemen. So Luqman was from Nubia. They were, they were Abyssinian, Habasha, yeah. Although sometimes they will use, you know, generic terms for the, anyone coming from Africa, Habasha or something like that. They might say that, but they're different nations. The first migration. So the first migration was to Abyssinia, Abyssinia. not to Nubia, not Abyssinia, because you can see it, it's right across from the right across from Arabia. You'll see that. Um, where it is, you see where Yemen is, and you see that going right, and just above would be Jeddah, and then they crossed right, uh, so it's the Red Sea, they crossed the Red Sea. But Nubia is interior, Nubia is not on the coast. Nubia is more in the interior, along the Nile, because it's along the Nile. So it's not, it's, not, it's not a coastal, it doesn't have a coast. So now as we come <clears throat> to a conclusion uh, with the story of Lokman, you can see um, the deep wisdom coming out of this sage or wise person uh, who is considered to be uh, after the prophets. Uh, in terms of knowledge, they are considered to be like you know, the next you know, level. Uh, in terms of that with Al-Khidr, with Musa salam, and then Luqman. You know, and um, the tremendous knowledge. Because even today, the tongue itself and the heart you know, this really is the key to a lot of our issues. It's what comes out of your heart and is also your mouth, right? So therefore, this is deep wisdom, which is given by Luqman. In a sense, it's like timeless wisdom. And uh, the shahid here, though, the witness is that this is an African man uh, revered, you know, by Islam, mentioned in the Quran, a whole chapter after his name. And he's not a prophet. So this is, in a sense, anti-racism. It's positive anti-racism um, because it breaks down stereotypes you know, of different nations that a person of that complexion and that background you know, could be given knowledge uh, on this high, high level uh, that Luqman you know, had received. And again, when they say slavery now, you have to recognize that slavery was not... Um, when we think of slavery, we think of somebody like Atlantic slave. So somebody's getting beaten, so like that, they're in chains and all that. That's not necessarily how slavery was. Slavery was the relationship between employer and employee in the past. Because there was no employer-employee. You're either master or you're slave. So for instance, um, the word slave comes from Slav, Yugoslavia, you know, Slavic people. That's where the word slave comes from because they were slaves of the Romans, and they were all white, right? So it's not color, okay? It's, 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 it's the position. Also, um, in Egypt, there was a group of um, mercenaries, mercenary slaves who were taken prisoner from um, the Turkestan you know, region in that area, and they were brought to Egypt. Uh, and they eventually took power in Egypt they were called Mamluk. So the word Mamluk means slave. So this is the Mamluk dynasty. You've heard it before, right? That means the slave dynasty in Arabic, a dynasty of slaves. And the Mamluks were some of the greatest warriors, if not the greatest warriors, physically. Spiritually, it's, it's the first generation. But physically, they were some of the greatest warriors in Islamic history. And their life as a slave, even before they took over, 
they were brought in and they had good house training. Um, then they had some of them, they had plantations, land. They were landowners. And they rode on beautiful horses. And they were the main warriors uh, in Egypt, right? But they were slaves of the Sultan. Right? They were the slaves of the Sultan. Um, and they had different names even based upon who was the Sultan. Malika Saleh, so they call them Salehiyah. This is the, the Mamluk, the Salehiyah. Right? Because they connect. But they're not slaves in the sense that, you know, they're in a plantation getting whipped. No. It just means control, right? The same way, like for many people, there's economic slavery today. You know, you're literally controlled in those sweatshops that are making clothes in different parts of the world, and people are being human trafficking, right? Which is going around the world. That's a form of slavery, because you can't run away, right? When they have prostitutes from Eastern Europe, right? You can't run away from them. So that's slavery in the general sense of the term, okay? So Lukman, just to conclude, he had a master who was basically in control of things he was doing. However, he had a home, he had son, you know, he was a wise person. Thousands of people were coming to him for advice. You know, he lived a good life and everything like that. So, I mean, you know, it's not what you think uh, in terms of, you know, slavery itself. Okay? So that's the beginning of the any, any questions on that before we go on? So now, as, as we continue on now, we want to look at other uh, forms of uh, darkness. Because we're looking at the light and the dark. And last week we covered you know, the verse of, of, the, of the Noor, of the light. And we're looking at darkness now. And in Surah Zumar, in Surah Zumar, verse 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, khalaqakum min nafsin wahidatin thumma ja'ala minha zawjaha, wa anzala lakum min al-an'ami tamaniyat azwaj, يَخْلُقُكُمْ فِي بُتُونِهُمْ أُمَّهَاتِكُمْ خَلْقًا خَلْقًا مِّن بَعْدِ خَلْقٍ فِي ظُلُمَاتٍ ثَلَاثٍ ذَلِكُمُ اللَّهُ رَبُّكُمْ لَهُ الْمُلْكِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ فَأَنَّنَّا تُصْرَفُونَ So this verse is saying, He makes you in the wombs of your mothers, in stages, one after another in three veils of darkness. Such is Allah, your Lord and cherisher, to him belongs all the dominion. There is no God but he. Then how are you turned away from this? How are you, how, how are you going to turn away? So the shahid here, the point is here, that it is saying in these, fi dhulumatin thalath, in three uh, veils of darkness. So dhulumat, remember, yukhrijukum min al-dhulumati ila nur. That Allah takes you from darkness into light. Okay? So in that case, it's not just physical darkness. It is ignorance. It is uh, oppression, injustice, into nur, which is guidance, you know, which is truth. That is the light. And we understood what the light was. Okay, this here is dealing more with the physical dhulumat. Um, and so in this case, and this again shows i'jaz al-Qur'an. Okay, this is a man living 1400 years ago in the desert, right, never traveled out of Arabia, did not go to university, did not have any equipment around them or anything like that in terms of the lifestyle of the Arabs at that time, in terms of their medicine and whatever, at that time, it was fairly primitive. It was primitive, childbirth, and in terms of, you know, they would cauterize. They would cauterize hijama. That was the highest level of their medical things. Of course, they had honey. They had, you know, different natural cures. But in terms of what we call today, um, you know, advanced technology, they didn't have advanced technology. They had wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, and they had natural cures and you know whatnot. So here, uh, 
you know, it, is, it can be interpreted that the three veils or three walls, they're like walls. Because remember what it's saying now. It is saying he makes you in the wombs, right, the uter uterus of your mother, in stages. One stage after another stage. In three veils of darkness. So you're within these stages, there's three veils of darkness, and these stages are going on. Okay, so these are the two things that, you know, the scientists looked at. And this verse was actually taken to Keith Moore, who is the Canadian um, uh, famous uh, embryologist, and he's known for other issues of embryology, which we're going to go into later. But he also looked at this verse. And he looked at this and um, commented on it. And so the three veils, what are the three veils? Okay, so basically his position was the darkness of the anterior abdominal wall. This is the abdominal wall. And then there is a darkness of the uterine wall. Okay, and then there is the darkness of the amniocroionic uh, membrane. Okay, these are scientific terms. We're going to look at, we're going to try to look at this a little closer. Okay, now in the basic human embryology, this is a textbook which is used in universities and whatnot in embryology. And basically what it says is that life in the uterus has three stages. This is not a Muslim who wrote this. They say it's three stages. Pre-embryonic stage, which is the first two and a half weeks, and then the embryonic stage up to the end of the eighth week, and then the fetal stage from the eighth week to birth. So they look at it in three stages. That's how they put it in the book. That's life in the uterus. That's what the Quran said, you know, in stages. Khalqan ba'da khalq. Creation after creation. Right? And this is happening in three layers of darkness. Okay? So now, when we look uh, at this and try to uh, unpack this scientific thing, any scientists in the room. Okay, on the outside, basically, you know, is your, uh, this is the first wall, right? This is the first wall on the outside, okay? And then the uterine wall is this one here, and then the amniotic cavity. And it's the chorionic vilus. Okay, they, they put the two words together, but there's another cavity here uh, that's inside. And this is what um, Keith Moore himself, and he witnesses, he makes a witness of this, and he actually, um, he actually consulted with other embryologists about this, about these three levels. And he came to the conclusion that um, the child inside of uh, the uterine you know, area, right, that there's three uh, levels, right, there's three veils. Quran calls it dhulumat talath. So three dhulumats, dhulma, darkness like. So you could say veil of darkness, wall of darkness or a wall with darkness in back of it. I mean, nobody's not going to know 100%. But the fact is that Keith Moore himself, without being paid off by Muslims, and he's not a Muslim himself, and he didn't accept Islam, by the way, after it. So that's more objective, right? He said, I can fully agree with this. That's what we would say. You see, it's three uh, veils of darkness, it's three levels of darkness. Can you just go back two slides, please? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So what you're dealing with is the life in the uterus. There's three stages of life. So that's the first thing they say. Because, because the ayah is saying, khalqan ba'da khalq. So it's saying there's creation, in other words, development. And then there's development. So it's saying it's developing, right? So there's three stages of development, and according to this book here, it's quotes from the book, Basic Human Embryology, and that's what they'll study in University of Toronto or whatever, 
you know, uh, when they're studying embryology. This is the pre-embryonic stage, embryonic stage, and uh, the fetal stage. That's what they call it. So it was three stages. Okay? Got that, got that one? Everybody's got that? Now, um, the veils of darkness. God said, Chalkan ba'da chalk fi dhulumatin talath. So it, it's, it's the thing going on inside of three veils of darkness. And this is where Keith Moore identified, literally, um, the outer wall, you know, and then the, uh, you know, the inner uterine wall, right? So the outer wall is the lower abdominal wall, okay? That's, that's what's on the bottom. Lower abdominal wall, right? That's on the outside. And then the uterine wall, right, is the one on the inside, and then uh, the cavity. It's a fluid around it. So that's like a wall of darkness, too. So Keith Moore himself identified these three and said that the Quran is directly in line with cutting-edge science. It's right on point with cutting-edge science. Okay? Now, this is what we can do now. Right? We can look in like this, and we can see all this. By the time of the Prophet they couldn't see inside of there. They didn't know. So if he was a good poet, right, who just wanted to rhyme things, you know, he's a good rapper, an Arab rapper. And so he's rapping now for this, uh, you know, Quranic verse. And he wants to get something, you know, to go in rhythm. Okay? Why does he come up with something which is exactly what Keith Moore would say now. You see? And it was not until the 70s when the operation of two babies started that scientists discovered that the mixing of sperm and egg took place in the light, right, resulting the fetus would be deformed if, if this has taken place. All kinds of things they're finding out, right? The three layers are understood to make it simple. The three layers are understood as the abdominal wall, the uterine wall, and the membranes. That's what's inside, covering the baby. Okay? That's what Keith Moore identified. So the question is, how could a man, unleaded, who wasn't even reading things, even if you could get a Greek med medical book, or a Chinese medical book, or an Egyptian medical book, and read what they knew in the ancient time, he couldn't even do that. He's unleaded, so he's not even reading his own language, because they're oral culture, right? So he was not reading textbooks. He had not traveled to Egypt, he did not travel to Syria, didn't go to Greece, didn't go to China, didn't go to India, only Arabia. How could he know this? That's Ijaz al-Quran. That is miraculous nature of the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's miraculous how it comes, and it's testified by scientists today, for those who have their scientific understanding of the world, and they need to hear this, right? And he's a white man, too. If you're Eurocentric, he's a European. He's a Canadian, too. So he's a good guy. He's not an American bad guy. He's a good guy Canadian. And an honest person. And they flew him to Jeddah. I actually attended his his famous lecture in the U of T, when he did embryology. We're going to, we might talk about it next week or the other week. I, was, I actually attended that lecture. It was an MSA uh, lecture. And Marshall Johnston with him. Yeah. Yeah, that was a famous lecture here in the U of T, uh, Oise Building, I think it was, you know, and um, where he actually did this. And it's shocking. And of course, some of the brothers stood up and said, oh, brother, Keith, uh, you know, take shahada, man. <laughs> That's okay. Take it easy, brother. We, just, we asked him to make his, his witness as a scientist, right? You don't make him take shahada. Allah guides whom he pleases, right? That's up to him, right? Test is on him now. Because he saw this, right? He's got to answer to Allah. He knows that nobody knew about this in 1400. And this is not magic. And remember, the Quran, I'jaz, means that it's something that human beings cannot do and there's no magic involved in this. There's no magic. 
right? That's straight out science, right? It's Jazzle quote. Any questions uh, anybody has, or any comments or questions uh, on this? So this is the, this is the levels of the darkness, um, and this is again uh, part of the witness that the Quran is the book of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, uh, the revelation and the flexibility that it has, uh, that we could actually extract something from it uh, that is worthwhile in Black History Month. And who knew then that they're going to have Black History Month now? Right, so that's flexibility of the book. Right, that's so much it can handle uh, in so many different areas. Okay, so inshallah, next week we will be continuing on uh, in our study. So have a safe journey home. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.